Hello and welcome to Girls Gone Canon, Game of Thrones Season 8, Episode 5, The Bells. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. You might know me from the internet as at Liza Narber on Twitter, Tumblr, and LizaNarbergold.com. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana, and you might know me as Glass Table Girl from the A Song of Ice and Fire subreddit, the Mason Monthly Podcast, maybe as Arithmetic over on Twitter. He has an episode. I feel as if the last episode of Game of Thrones might be further divisive than the second to last and the third to last episode have been. What are your thoughts? Are you saying that you think that this one's more divisive than the previous one? More because it provided more on-screen divisiveness, but I am actually theorizing that the final episode will provide the most... The most divisiveness, divisiveness, divisivity. And I'm gonna end it at the just the, the most. most. I'm like, okay, word. <laughs> That's providing the most. I'm like, okay, yeah, I take that. Um, I don't know. So this is like the way that I see it. I feel like things started dividing mm-hmm. right in episode three yeah. of the season, and then afterwards, I feel like more people started just inching towards, I guess, a discontented side uh in episode four and then there's just more going to that side here does that make sense like people are in an uproar about their feelings but they aren't divided they are in solidarity Um, i think not all some some but some are people are divided from other people i mean Uh. like the solidarity people are together but they're against the people that aren't the solidarity people, that are solidarity people, they're old people. Anyways, what I'm saying is... That they're the sand snakes. Yes, and honestly, I am Sorella because I'm not in the show right now is how I feel. Mm. Just kidding. Um, and I'm Elias Sand because I'm not also... Not in the show. <laughs> Horses. And, I guess. <laughs> we even finished each other's sandwiches. <laughs> Sand, sand snake witches? Sand okay, sandwiches? Um, I, the oh, little faces wow. on bread. So, wait, wait, hold on, sorry. I want to stop us right there and say that we should make sand sandwiches. Like one, which could have like, I don't know, le- lemon zest and the other is a hot dog. The, feel, the flavors don't go together, but I'm going to work, I'm going to work on this idea. That's it. So, I guess at this point in season eight, if I had to do a current breakdown of where I think episodes are ranking, I'd say my top episode is Night of the Seven Kingdoms. It's too bad the series was over after that. Uh, (laughs) My second favorite, this is going to be controversial, my second favorite episode of season eight so far was episode four, The Last of the Starks. Mm -hmm. I know, I thought that was interesting. I was like, that's a spicy take. My third favorite app, I'm going to go with number three with The Long Night. I would say my fourth favorite episode is probably this one, The Bells. That's crazy, I know. I would say Winterfell, episode one, was my least favorite just because it fell the flattest. I feel like some of the stuff that we're experiencing in this episode could maybe have been worked in in that episode, where nothing happened. 
<laughs> Winter bells. Winter bells. Winter bells. <laughs> it's Game of Thrones in the city. Ah, uh, my mine as I was telling you, my favorite episode of the season is season one. <laughs> That's not how one. this works, Eliana. <laughs> That's how this works. Uh, it's my podcast, too, and I can rate it however the fuck I want. <laughs> Eliana, it, do you see in our in our notes where it says season 8 in uh, 36-point font? You know, there's a, there's someone uh, really that I respect a lot that I'm going to quote here, and they said, they go, I said what I said. <laughs> I've never heard of them. Wow, you respect me? I've never... Oh, of course. See, I do. this is good communication between relationships. Partners. Relationships are built on respect, respect and trust, and but... you know who doesn't have any of that right now? Daenerys and John. Wow! <laughs> no, they really don't. Though uh, no. this episode was definitely not my favorite. It was probably my, like I said, my fourth favorite of the season out of five. Uh, there were some really good parts, though. I liked. I liked certain parts standalone. I don't think the pacing or overall really worked for a lot of things. I liked the stuff with Arya. Uh, I liked the cinematography, of course. It was beautiful. And the soundtrack. I loved Sansa being right. I said what I said. Uh, (laughs) What? Who are you quoting? (laughs) (laughs) You quoting me. And I liked the very execution. Uh, I think that that was probably the most well-executed scene. I will be accepting the oh, responses hey. to that pun. Hey! <laughs> I'm proud of you. Thank you. You're hired. <laughs> oh my god, I got hired. <sighs> Honestly, seeing it all burn was crazy. It was kind of awesome. It was very horrifying. I, I give it a 6 out of 10. I watched it today to just like re-remember it at work on mute, and it was a lot better. So I'm going to give it a 6 <laughs> instead of a 5. It was a, It was an okay episode of Game of Thrones. Right? Like, as an episode of Game of Thrones standalone, it was alright. It was a horrible second-to-last episode of the series, and it was missing a very obvious piece from the books, which is Aegon and Quentin. And Quentin, yes, and Dorne. It was... Just just, just in area, just that whole... I mean, Aegon, Aegon's posse are all those people. It, it's missing Except the Dornish and the posse Blackfire plot from the books. If you're listening and you're a show watcher and you aren't really caught up with the books, there is a character named Aegon, who is the original Aegon, so we're told, that Illyrio and Varys allegedly, allegedly. the alleged Aegon, Elia and Rhaegar's child, their son, who technically has the better claim to the throne. Uh, he is Rhaegar's son. So that is what we're told. Illyrio and Varys are kind of secretly, not so secretly, propping this guy up against Daenerys, and it is about to start the Dance of the Dragons 2.0, pretty much. Uh, and that is also where you're getting a lot of this John Targaryen plot filtering in. Aegon really is going to serve kind of as this, you know, this place for everything we're seeing fall on Cersei, no pun intended, not talking about the building. Uh, we're going to see all of what's falling on Cersei and falling on Jon kind of start with Aegon in the books, in my opinion. Yes, I agree. I think Aegon is very much a bridge to this character development that we're seeing in Daenerys. Yeah. But before that, um, remember, so you were saying how Aegon is supported very much by Varys and Illyrio. So we got Varys supporting a different Aegon in this opening scene. 
Yes, we do. We actually get a really cool bit in the previously on I want to touch on where Danny, they kind of start to try to, you know, personify her madness into all these quotes etched into these quotes, you know, like, you're a dragon, be a dragon and just back and forth of Illyrio and Olena and Jorah and all these characters and all this like, stirring in her head and it didn't make up for several seasons of character development. I'm just putting that out there, but it it was effective in the moment. What if they just had like, you know, an entire like part, the scene, right? Where Daenerys is out in the wilderness and stuff, and then she sees Quaith, and then Viserys and Jorah, and she realizes that dragons plant the trees. God. I thought that was I thought that was a pretty good idea. Yeah, I mean they could even include the shitting. I actually I'm fine with that. Yeah, I mean, to you be know, honest, this is a fantasy novel and it includes shitting. Let's keep it. And there's some pretty epic shits. And that's how you know it's fantasy. <laughs> I mean, actually, no, I, I've had some real life shits like that. Oh my god, Eliana. So <laughs> the first scene is Varys and he has a little bird speaking with him from the kitchens and also uh, chats with John while Tyrion watches later on. So we start with Danny not eating. Um... Varys was trying to poison her, is what we learn in this scene. Yeah, which like kind of makes sense why she isn't eating. Yeah, she's starting to grow more and more paranoid. She's not eating. I love that line from Eddard Five in A Game of Thrones, where Eddard says to Pycelle, I've heard it said that poison is a woman's weapon. Pycelle stroked his beard thoughtfully. It is said, woman, <laughs> cravens, and eunuchs... Oh my god, we should have had you do Pycelle. I'm really coming into my own with voices. I'm glad that we- I know. I'm glad that we had this, though. Yeah. I feel like I have a missed opportunity, though, right now. That uh, that we could have had you doing Pycelle. Anyway, yeah, I do think it's interesting that Pycelle seems to foreshadow this. And ma- I mean, maybe we see something like this in the books, right? Yeah. Where Varys also has his own poison plot. Would not be surprised. I mean- it's not poison, but he does use a crossbow and does some other backstabby kind of shit. Yeah, I don't know if this will be the exact payoff. I'm sure maybe something else will happen similarly. Maybe he will poison otherwise. But we've seen Varys kind of wear all these different faces and disguises, right? Uh-huh. So this is him doing his best as Master of Whispers, and uh, he wants to off his queen. He doesn't think that she's right. He thinks John would be a better king, and he decides to tell John that very boldly on the shore of Dragonstone in Danny's ancestral home that she had just taken uh in the last season but John of course right in front of her salad. in front of her salad but John remains loyal to Danny he says he tells Varys as much that he doesn't want the throne again like nobody's listening to John <laughs> oh John so silly yeah <laughs> um do you get Larry's a clubfoot vibes? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know where Larry's a clubfoot comes into all of this. I don't know. He Sometimes I just see him in places. Maybe Danny does too. Tyrion then tattles on Varys. Yeah. Maybe he's Larry's the clubfoot? I don't know. Oh, Varys and Larry's. There we go. There you go. Yeah, Varys and Larry's. And I also think Larry's has little finger qualities too. Clubfoot, little finger. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of that too. There's a lot. So Tyrion goes in the throne room and Danny's unkempt. She hasn't slept. She's pretty pissed off. She can't find her shape tape concealer. It's driving her mad. <laughs> Dude, big mood. <laughs> I know. I was just like, all right, so we can tell that she's upset because she hasn't done her makeup. 
Yeah. Is that what I'm being told by the show right now? Yes. But, you know, she puts it all on when she has to go out there, when she's got to go treat. She knows. She's got to put her war face her on. Her floppy ears on her face. Yeah, you know, with her floppy be- beauty blonde. Oh Danny says that someone has betrayed her. But where Tyrion says that it's Varys, she's like, no, it was Jon Snow because he told all these people. And she's like, basically, she's like, Sansa's as much responsible for all of this as I am. And I'm like, okay, word. You can. Yeah. You're saying things. Yeah. And it feels a little contrived, but you know, you're saying things. And then uh, Danny tells Tyrion that the next time he fails her will be his last. Because I mean, like, it's true. He has failed a lot. I'm not sure why he got promoted in the first place. Throwing that out there. In history, there's this event called Defiance of Duskendale. For those of you that aren't into the heavy book lore, I'll sum it up for you real quick. In 277 AC, Danny's dad was the king, Ares II, the burn them all guy. Uh, Dennis Darkland didn't want to pay his taxes, and he tried to get a new charter with some new rights for his people. Ares goes down there to handle things, and they take the king captive, and they hold him as a hostage for about half a year. Tywin shows up as Hand of the King, offers some pretty shitty terms, and then he, like, gets turned down, offers slightly less shitty terms. Finally, he tells them, you're gonna get stormed if you don't let the king go. They don't listen, Barrison the Bold rides in and gets the king, takes a shit ton of arrows in the process, and in his vengeance, madness, and punishment mode, Ares basically extinguishes House Darklin and House Hollard, except for one member who Barristan begged him to spare, The small child, Dantos Hollard, who we know from Sansa Stark, right? She saves his life. He becomes a fool. Uh, After this day, Ares wouldn't let anyone else come near him to touch him, touch his hair. He let his hair and nails grow out. He descends into this madness. He won't allow blades in the same vicinity as him. And eventually, he even refuses to leave the Red Keep. Worse off, he comes to this conclusion that Tywin and Rhaegar, his heir... And Danny's brother, Rhaegar, to keep your Targaryens straight, are conspiring against him, and that Duskendale was probably a setup, and he begins to mistrust any and everyone. He gets consumed by his paranoia and by his madness that he descends into, which is where, of course, we meet him when Jamie kills him in that show flashback, right? Burn them all. It's also giving you that idea of why Arya and Sansa don't and can't trust Daenerys because of this big enriched history with Ares II because this all led to their uncle and grandfather dying like we talked about last week. It's a little different than over an episode and a half Danny losing all she has left, right? Like that's a pretty rapid secession. This lasted a little over half a year. So you can see where Ares really, really, really went deeper into that craziness while he was held hostage. The pacing obviously didn't really lend to this. Yeah, there's all of that. And of course, I mean, we see that it's a little different for Daenerys, right? Like, she's very much acting out of anger and vengeance, as we're going to see in this episode, as opposed to the same reasons why Ares did. Like, Ares was clearly very Mm -hmm. mentally ill. I don't think it's fair to blame Arya and Sansa uh, for not trusting Daenerys, as we've discussed in previous episodes. But there is a sort of what-if question that I'm having, like... You know, they, there's there's this really uh, kind of ironic cycle to it, right? Because they distrust Daenerys because of what Ares did. But, you know, if they had trusted her, would things be different? Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, do, do the sins of their father as 
comes up throughout this episode is definitely poisoning their relationship. Yeah. Uh, they come for Varys. Yeah, I love that this scene, he, he's removing his rings, he burns the letter he was working on penning and sending, and he truly knows, like, he did all he could for the realm, he's ready to die. He should have just sent it if he's gonna, if he's gonna go out anyway, yeah. that's my thought. <laughs> you know, uh, do you think it's interesting that he removes his rings? It's very resigned. Mm-hmm. And Tyrion tells him he's sorry. I, I'm going to throw it out there. I thought for a second that Tyrion was doing for Varys what Tyrion does for Jaime later on this episode. I was like, oh, okay. He's repaying him for the time that Varys helped him escape. And I was like, nope! <laughs> Only time for one debt to be paid. Sorry, Elia. We're in the end game now. Yeah, Lannisters <laughs> don't pay their debts. <sighs> it's a bummer because Varys is like, I hope I'm wrong. I truly do. I hope Danny's a good queen. <sighs> I did really like that scene, though, between oh yeah Tyrion and Varys, and you know where where Tyrion's holding him, and they, he they're saying goodbye, old friend. It is sad, and I think that's delivered well. And there is a part of me that's also kind of sad because I mean, granted, they only have one more episode to film, or they've already filmed it, whatever. But I was like. I remember reading interviews where Peter Dinklage talks about how Conleth Hill is one of his favorite people to film with because they just have fun on set together. Apparently, they're just two very funny people together. Yeah, absolutely. They're always pulling shenanigans. Even uh, shenanigans. Sophie said something about that, I think, with the crypt episode <laughs> or the crypts, like that all of them filming together was fun. Aw. Yeah. Aw. The show's ending. <sighs> Anyways. Daenerys sentences Varys to die. The dragon was really creepy here. I really liked it. Uh, I love Drogon's head looming out of the darkness with its big old mouth out of nowhere. And mm-hmm. this is pretty much going to happen in the books, right? I mean, she's going to kill Varys and Illyrio. They've been basically yeah. betting her claim away from her. I mean, it, it's going to happen. It's going to be framed around Aegon and them betraying her for his claim. But this was cool to watch. Yeah, and again, it's definitely going to make sense in the books. I'm going to say, throw this out there, maybe this makes me a bad person, but there's a part of me that is going to feel a little satisfied when it happens to Illyrio. Not so much like Tiberius, but like I think that Illyrio. there's something interesting there with Illyrio that makes me be like, get him. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Um, and I think it has to do with, even in the first chapter of A Game of Thrones, Danny distrusts Illyrio, and then she goes back on those instincts after her dragons are born. Um, also, Kim Renfro made a really good point of showing that this mirrors the execution of someone else being burnt when Stannis is doing burnings over on the beach. Yes, in Dragonstone. Uh, everything about this episode yeah. did, especially that dimly lit well we'll get there but that scene with her where the the throne room is all dimly lit and she's sitting on the throne and actually the throne has brown hues in it now you can see uh from afar it doesn't look very brown but up close you kind of got that tint on it so that was cool the lighting was different uh the dimmer like warmer lighting almost and it was just interesting it was last episode like you brought up framed a lot like stannis everything in this episode is very stannis yeah do you think I want to say that I've gotten that from other people on Twitter, and especially poor Quentin has been talking about that a lot this week. And I mean, it makes sense for reasons we're going to come back to in a bit. You know, just I just keep telling you, stay tuned for this ride that you were on with us. <laughs> for example, um, other moments in Dragonstone. 
Daenerys gives Grey Worm Missandei's collar. It's her only possession. It's the only possession that Missandei brought with her. And then John and Danny have a little chat. Yeah, Grey Worm burns Missandei's collar, which is really symbolic, and it's a yeah. very short but emotional scene. I agree. I thought that was a well done scene, and I did like this one moment. Yeah. This very, very far, small, single moment between Grey Worm and Daenerys, but I, I, I think it was well done. I I think Amelia Clark has done a great job of acting in this episode. She's had uh, to. She has. I mean, she's had to, but like, I I don't know. I guess people haven't liked her in previous seasons. I think she's fine. I also really liked her in Solo. Hot take. Oh, I loved her in I mean, Solo, Solo's yeah. not Solo's not like the best movie, but I think she was I think great she in it. she kept the plot moving, at least. Yeah, I agreed. I'm very excited for her future roles in the series. But anyways, sorry, yes. We appreciated Grey Worm burning the Sunday's collar and then John comes in. Yeah, John tells Danny that she is his queen, that he never meant to betray her, uh, that obviously she's the one that should be ruling, and you start to really see that paranoia, like when she took him aside at the feast last episode, and she just like or after the feast, pardon me, and she begged him, Don't tell anyone, don't tell anyone. And she says to him, far more people in Westeros love you than love me. I don't have love here. I only have fear. And John says, I love you and you will always be my queen. And she says back, is that all I am to you? Your queen? All right, then let it be fear. What What else did you want? She wanted to be a hot piece of ass. That's right, because that is when she makes out with him, isn't it? Like I said, I rewatched this with the audio off earlier, so... It was great. It was a really good episode. <laughs> I'm gonna throw this out there, and I have not great feelings on it. Apparently, Gray Area tweeted that in the inside the episode, which I did not watch. I actually don't usually watch those. Um, uh, I I refuse to. They essentially said David and Dan essentially said that you know if John had I don't know slept with Danny the scene none of the later things would have happened and I'm like what the fuck so I get that that's like a gross misogynistic way to frame it and I agree but I do think yeah. that this kind of gives those parallels with Ares right those Ares vibes because mm. she starts to kiss him aggressively and he pulls away and that's when she's all angry and I really do think they should have flip-flopped it like had the the scene start off trying to kiss him right away very you know how Ares was after a burning it, it it would have at least, if you're going to do it, just do it. You know, go all out. Yeah. Yeah, and then have that betrayal afterwards. I think that would have, or that feelings of betrayal afterwards, I think that would have made sense too. It would have led the betrayal a little uh, deeper and like really feel like, oh, he doesn't want me. I don't know. I just think like, why doesn't John just say, it's just, I have a really confused boner right now because you're my aunt. Because I think that's very, also very clearly what it yeah. is. And he's trying to also like feel out what she's about to do. I made a joke, though, when I was watching this, uh, when I was watching the execution of Varys, that when John looks at Danny, I'm like, that's the look of a confused boner. It was. It really <laughs> It is. was the look of a confused boner. Well, and I, I truly, though, I do see where it could be framed as that isolation, because this is all she has left is John and Grey Worm and the very small remainder of her armies, right? Like, these people are obviously, and she just lost another person that she thought was her supporter that was trying to poison her. Uh, people are saying, you know, there was no setup. There was no setup. 
And as much as I will, you know, validate the last few seasons, she was quite obviously set up as like a hero. Uh, and yes, there were Bernie little foreshadows, but I wouldn't say quite enough to really make this feel comfortable to slip into. And there is setup though. I mean, you're she's losing everything still right now. It's just it should have been over like several episodes instead yeah. of one and a half or two. Yeah, I agree, and I don't. I agree with the portrayal that other people are questioning whether or not she's mad. Mm-hmm. I don't agree with the idea that she truly is. Yeah. Does that? No, I totally agree. It, it's complex. And I think the biggest problem is like we get her inner point of view and we've heard her thoughts we know Daenerys and we know that whatever this is if it was translated into a point of view there'd be so much to take in in her thoughts and seeing each thing happen that we would feel her loneliness with her yes exactly and I think that's something that a lot of the way this is written shows mostly her anger, but not the sorrow that is driving it. Does that make sense? The two are going hand in hand. They didn't show a scene of her unkempt with her hair braided and down and her sobbing alone in that room looking out the window. You know, they that, didn't yeah. They didn't show her grieving. They just showed her get angry and desolate. We didn't see the scene of her before giving it to Grey Worm. We didn't see the scene of her, as you were saying, sobbing, clinging to Missandei's collar. Yeah. She was her friend. We didn't see her. It's, I don't know. It's yeah. kind of like they have an issue, and we're going to talk about this soon with Arya, of taking the humanity out of characters to make them edgy uh, and try mm-hmm. to prove their badass assassin fiery dragonness. And it's kind of like there should be a middle ground, and they do miss it. And Obviously, they kind of got put in a rock and a hard place. I mean, 2016, they were supposed to have something new to go off of. uh, And they kind of just had to forge their own path, obviously, with that season five, season six, season seven. It is what it is. And this is what we have, as we mentioned last week. So we'll try not to hate it too much. But it's interesting, adaptively speaking. (laughs) I just wonder if it just wasn't consistent enough in terms of who she loses each season. Because... We don't see her acting out in the same way when she loses Viserion, right? But we do see her acting out in season five when Barristan is killed. Yeah. So it, it it's something that I it just needed to be built up more. Like there was If you move a couple deaths to last season. It was wishwashy. Yeah. Yeah. I it, it was starting there there are beats. And I agree with a lot of the beats. <sighs> Truly, you could have done one last 10-episode season. You could add seven and eight smushed together. You could have cut a lot of this extra fat out of it, and it would have been great, in my opinion. Yeah. I I think it's true. I think that's what's needed. I mean, her losing Viserion in season seven. You know, if you mashed this whole season into one, I would have... I probably would have liked it. But I digress. We go to that Dragonstone throne room. Like, I was talking about the lighting's interesting. There's a lot more brown hues in that rock throne and Danny is straight up ready to push ahead with her battle plan. Her advisors are kind of pushing back, right? Tyrion is like, show mercy if the city rings the bells and surrenders, though. And then Tyrion says that they're, yeah, as you said, he says they're going to be the bells. And like, that's how you know the plan's going to fucking fail, right? Yeah, absolutely. every time they tell you this is how it's going to go, like, this is just, this is just normal 101 when it comes to all that writing and storytelling. They're like, when you know the plan, it's going to, it's going to go awry. Yeah, she tells Grey Worm, like, she gives him, like, a nod saying you heard him, but, like, it's a very vague nod. 
There's no verbal confirmation for any of it. She tells Grey Worm that he needs to wait for her outside the city and that they'll know when it's time. Time for what? We don't know yet. But it does put us on the road to King's Landing. And we uh, flash forward. There are small folk that are being ushered inside of King's Landing, per Cersei's plan. John, Tyrion, Davos, and company are on a boat. Or sorry, no, Davos is on the shore. I lied. John, Tyrion, uh, and their whole company are on a boat. Davos is on the shore. And John looks wary of arriving at the war camp on the Blackwater. And it is indeed Blackwater all over again for Davos, right? Oh, yeah. Which I was very surprised and a little bummed that he didn't have more of a role this episode. Mm-hmm. I feel like he could have played a really good role in King's Landing since he came from Flea Bottom and Blackwater 2.0. Uh, but I digress. I digress. Yeah. As long as he's alive, I'm happy. Yeah, maybe one day he's gonna go back to his family. Who knows? He doesn't have a family anymore, let's be real. Does, does he, like, okay, no, real talk. Does he have a family in the show or not? These are questions I have. He has a wife. So she, so Maria is in the show. He talked about her, I think, once, but not really. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't remember. I'm just curious. Um, yeah, it is very Blackwater vibes, but, you know... Everything goes a little in reverse and much faster. Yeah. Then, of course, you know, you have the Vale, the Northmen, the Dothraki, the Unsullied, all gathered here. And unlike in the Blackwater, Danny wants to attack it during daybreak. Yes, very opposite. Very opposite. And you cut to a scene where Arya and Sandor are mounted on horse. They do a little smooth talking with the guards and they kind of just like go right past them toward the castle. It is interesting, though, that the guards let her in. You can see that they already are having those, that questionable loyalty. Yeah. As they do. Absolutely. And after this, the half of them aren't even alive, so. <laughs> Word. Tyrion uh, talks to an Unsullied, similarly, and talks him into letting him visit his brother, who is taken prisoner after walking just straight into wi- the Winterfell camp, and they're all like, dude, we see you. He walks straight past them or through them and they grab him because they're like, look, you stupid golden hand, idiot. And uh, so Tyrion and Jamie have a brotherly love speech and something, something. He pays his Lannister debt to free him. Very Cattle and Stark freeing vibes. Very Jamie freeing Tyrion vibes. I know the speech was super important to their arc. And I think he said something like, you're the reason I survived as a child. But yet again, I have failed to care about this scene like I did last week. I don't know what it is. My brain just, like, turns off during these scenes. I don't know why it does. I really don't. But it just does. It <sighs> happened. I know it happened. I know it was there. It was probably great. I love them both. Great actors. It was they good. are. I think I personally find it interesting because I wonder how something like this is going to play out in the books because Tyrion is clearly conflicted by the dreams that he has where he's kind of, like, Melee's the monster. So on one hand, he's, like, super angry and a monster. And then as he's killing Jamie, he's, like, the other small head is crying. And you're like, oh... He still loves him. And obviously that's why what Jamie did to Tyrion in lying to him about Tysha mm-hmm. hurts so bad. Who? Oh, you know. Tyrion was married before. Oh yeah, Brienne told me that this season. Yeah, she did. Remember that? There's like uh, a super zoomy shot of the bell because the bells are important in this episode. Did you know? Oh, I did. Uh, you have to ring two bells. You have to ring the bell at the top. Gotta go past the bell gargoyles. Where are they? Questions that I have. Is John the Chosen undead? Oh my god, Quasimodo, stop. <laughs> no, 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 it's Dark Souls. Oh my god. It's Dark Souls, everyone. I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> you then, know where you're not? 
in King's, in King's Landing. Landing. <laughs> God damn it. Okay. Yes, I'm not. I'm not one of these small folk running everywhere. Yikes. Lannister soldiers, archers taking positions, scurrying around. People are holding up in their homes for shelter. Sandor and Arya are, of course, going against the wave. And so is Jamie. People make for the gates out of the city, but they shut them. Uh, and that's that. And the Golden Company lines up in front of the gates. I'm just a little bit around the corner. Not these gates. There's so many gates, believe it or not, in this new desert the King's Landing has landed in. There are a lot of gates. I have a... Okay, I have a question. And I don't mean it to be nitpicky, but it's something I just remembered. Could they not have gone in through that other way that Littlefinger takes Ned? The walls. That is incredibly precarious, yes. And Sansa. Don't forget. Yeah, yeah. Is that was that not an option? Um, I'm pretty sure that's just a way to get like out into the city okay. and go to the brothel and then go to the port. So they could take it to the port. It's not. It's not a way back in as easily. Yeah. But I feel like they would come out the same way Jamie did. Apparently. Got it. All right. I mean, that's fine. I'm very bad at geography. Also, also. They couldn't do that because that's not what they wanted to happen in the show. I mean, that's fine. This is all right. It's their show, just the- like this is our podcast. I think the crowd, <laughs> the crowd scenes were good. Yeah, they definitely, you know, mirrored some other crowd scenes that we've seen in the show, and therefore there was thematic resonance, as some people, <laughs> some people call it. <laughs> <sighs> oh yeah, people are people will die if they play that drinking game. Oh my game. god, Warren's, Warren's trying to kill kill our listeners. <laughs> Happy birthday, Warren. So the Golden <laughs> Company is lined up in front of the gates and John Davos and Tyrion watch solemnly from the hill. Cersei is watching from the only balcony she ever stands on. <laughs> it's a good balcony. <laughs> it's the same one every time. Yeah. It's a very good wine drinking balcony. Uh, it is. Sandor and Arya get stuck at the gates. They're unable to get in. The gates shut on them. And then the crowd begins to mass in rush. <sighs> Yeah. That was, like, anxiety-inducing for me. That was some, like, fire and blood riots that I was thinking of. That's what it reminded me of. I mean, there's no dragon pit for there to be a storming of it, but that's what it reminded me of, except, you know, every... Yeah, there's a lot of fire and blood in this we're going to talk about. So, Jamie Lannister is stuck in that crowd as well, and he shakes his golden hand, and nobody sees him or cares in the crowd in King's Landing. Which I love that this is so unlike the Winterfell camp where he was just caught for having a golden hand. I love mm-hmm. that even in your own domain in King's Landing, daddy's gold can't help you here. Yeah, I love that. But do you know who my father is? But outside of King's Landing, the world is quiet. Yeah, Tyrion sits and he waits and he waits. Euron is waiting on his ship. And of course, out of the clouds, out of nowhere, come the flapping wings of death. It is Danny. Burninating the Iron Fleet on Drogon. She won't let herself make the same mistakes as last week where she allowed mm-hmm. them to shoot the bolts at her. She just burns them really quickly. So, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. One dragon down. Good job, Danny. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a cool scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Her rage was, was great. Amelia's acting was awesome. I'm always down for some Drogon flying. I will say, though... Uh, why did he bring the Golden Company? 
Let's not even talk about it. I, I don't want to talk. They it's were so here mad. for like a minute and didn't do anything. Harry Strickland was so hot. He was all right. He was cute. He deserved better. If they were going to make Harry Strickland hot in the show, which is such bullshit yeah, because it's true. like they cast like old people for other roles that are supposed to be hot. Like whatever. So yeah, like Davos. I mean, Davos is still. He, he's supposed to be a young a, daddy. I mean, like 40s. Yeah, he's, you know? still, he's still a dad. Sandor. Sandor's you know? 28. Okay. Sandor is supposed to be dads. Prince Zuko. That's true. He is. So Danny burninates the Golden Company and the armies barrel through the burnt down gate. Uh, Harry Strickland dies a horrible death. Rip. We knew you very little. <laughs> For like it. a second. We actually really didn't know you at all. Uh, more um, like Harry's second. Harry's what? That's how long he lived. <sighs> slaughter okay. in the streets is what I'm saying. We get to slaughter in the streets everywhere while Danny just begins to raise the city. Ugh. Fuck. I'm trying to really hard to think of something to go together with slaughter in the streets, something in the sheets, but it's really, this might not be the time. So anyways, Tyrion walks through the carnage. <laughs> he does. It's really sad. He's just looking around. I love that shot of him though. Very, very beautiful. Like, ah, mm-hmm. chef's kiss cinema. That he is just standing <laughs> there in the gates and they're just all burnt down around him and it just is very a very small man can cast a very large shadow. That's what that shot screamed to me. He took the city that he had hoped once to save. Yeah. And then we go over to Kyburn telling Cersei that the battle, the war maybe even, is lost. Because there's no Tywin to save her this time. No Garland Tyrell <laughs> to come in, in armor. To ghost your uh, battle. Renly's, yeah. And probably wouldn't no, survive there's no ghost the dragon. Either. Yep. Yeah. It's a... It was interesting how cersei was framed here how she was like no they'll just fight harder no it's fine he's like nope they're, they fell your, your armies are pretty much depleting like you have nothing like you're falling cersei you have to go now which i think we'll also see in the books in probably in the winds of winter I, i'm guessing it'll happen near the end that uh i think there will be a second sack of king's landing i've mentioned it before oh yeah and that it will be aegon and Arianne's armies and john Con if he's still alive but I think there's a nice recurring theme in this episode that I like, especially with that Sins of Our Fathers thing coming back. But I like that for the Lannisters, there's no father to save them anymore. There's no Lord Tywin coming to wipe their diapers off anymore, you know? Like, uh, you just waged a battle against the whole city with Daenerys, and you decided to use a human meat shield, right? And she's raising through it, like the paper shield you ripped up for Ned. This is a... A little meta. They've all kind of lost their Lannister locks, right, over the seasons. It's kind of muted mm-hmm. now. And it's probably more out of, like, it was a better deal for wig choice, easier to keep up, the coloring, etc. for, like, Peter Dinklage and Jamie, but uh, and Nikolai. But I like to think that maybe they're losing their golden shine. You know, like, all that glitters mm-hmm. is not gold, motherfucker. Are you telling me that Joffrey was not, in fact, a Lannister? No, no that's not... <laughs> It's not at all what I was telling you. I didn't say that. No one said that. Who said that? <laughs> no one. I do think uh, uh, the points that you were making about Tywin having come in to save their ass was, is really good because it comes back to that conversation earlier in the episode about fear versus love in ruling because mm-hmm. those armies only kept fighting so hard because they were afraid of Tywin, but they're more afraid of the dragon than they are of Cersei. Yeah, they all put their swords down. I mean. Yeah. Uh, surrender Tyrion stares at the bell and he's like alright 
come on, let's let's ring. It's gonna ring, and then you can hear all the whispers of right as the armies are to stand still. They're like, ring the bell, ring the bell. They're, they're kind of shouting it, but like it sounds like a whisper from a, up high. Yeah, absolutely. It's happening from all over the city, right? You're just hearing yes. it. You're hearing men yelling and shouting and sanctuary. Exactly, yeah. sanctuary. <laughs> and then we get this shot that is amazing. Like, I just want to put this out here that, like, no matter what happened in this episode, one of the most beautiful shots in the world was Danny mm. on Drogon as it's as Drogon soared overhead King's Landing. That was that was an incredible yeah. shot. The way that the back of Drogon rippled as like Danny flew with him and just it, it was amazing. Yeah. And of course, this is the vision that Bran had in season four and season six. Uh in The Lion and the Rose, he first had that vision, I believe, which was written by George himself. So this has been planned by George since season four. I'll give it that. I want to come back to something very quickly because you know how you keep we brought up the Hunchback of Notre Dame at least twice. Yeah, the Disney movie. In this, I'm I'm gonna just throw it out there. Hellfire, choose me or your pyre. I I've talked about this extensively on Twitter about Stannis. Oh what? Oh, but but have you talked about it in terms of Daenerys? As we discussed last week, it's an analog yeah. to uh, Daenerys. Exactly. So. Also, Hellfire is, even though Mulan's my favorite movie, Hellfire is the best Disney song. Oh, absolutely. Like, you could fight me in the streets any day about Hellfire. Yeah, and I'll be right there, ready to tag team with you and, and lose, but I'll fight alongside you. Thank The thank Lannisters, you. though, will not. They throw their swords down. Yeah, they, uh, they're done for. They, uh, they, they aren't going to do it, dude. I wouldn't want to fight that dragon. They know better. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is, people straight up just bent the knee to Aegon. They didn't try to fight when he came to Westeros. He had three dragons, you know? Uh, yeah. There was no point in fighting. You would die. Yeah. They're also up against an army that, like, you know, my boyfriend whom I was watching this with pointed out that, you know, those people are, have probably been itching to do this for a while. Because when they're coming down to fight the Lannister army, there's a very personal vendetta for them. Yeah. Yeah. All the rest of these Lannisters, oh, I get it. They're all wearing red and they're red shirts. I see. I get it now. Oh my god. That's <sighs> true. That was actually a very serious observation it's... at this time. Unlike Cersei, though, who's watching from her balcony and she's closing her eyes. And then the bells begin to ring, and Daenerys goes into a rage. She flies toward the Red Keep. She begins once more to lay destruction to the city and just. Two lines I want to repeat here. One from the show, one from the books. Be a dragon. Dragons plant no trees. That's yeah. That was this moment. That was her unleashing just hellfire on the city. I mean, yeah, as you said, it was rage, which is a pretty useful Pokemon move. But of course, it hurts you back. And might cause confusion if i'm not wrong <laughs> the daenerys that we have especially in the show yes obviously even look at spoils of war right uh the loot trade when she burnt the tarleys that's obviously supposed to be a warning and all of this apparently that i know they said themes don't matter but apparently they do now uh a lot of people are pissed about this with danny's characterization very valid reasons but it's kind of like you say in your essay that's 42 pages and a lot of it is block quotes. Oh my god. And the echoes that kind of tie in with the Miranese knot pieces by Feldman. Uh, this Targaryen war 
Civil War, it's going to tear Danny apart, whether it's in show or book, how it's framed. And it's also mm-hmm. going to tear cities apart. Feldman says she achieved peace, but she decided war felt better to her. The biggest problem in all of this is that obviously Cersei is not properly set up for this. In the books, no. it's going to be Aegon that does this. It's going to be a lot of framework around Aegon. It does all of this work of throwing Danny down her path to kind of losing it. You can see the framework for it. You can see what having a fake usurper on her throne with her name, taking all that she's ever worked for away from her, does. Exactly. I, it's, it's kind of a reverse, right, of Brandon and Ned when Ned feels resentment and says it was all meant for Brandon. Danny feels when she comes to Westeros like it was all meant for her. She believed they were sewing Targaryen banners in her name. And then as, as you said, Aegon comes in, he swoops in and gets all of the support uh, from those who follow the Seven. He has all the trappings of power. And there's a very personal conflict there that isn't there necessarily with Cersei because... In the books, we kind of get this idea, especially, you know, with the Dance of the Dragons, this very, very sad element to House Targaryen where because of the power that they mm-hmm. possess, and, and even going as far back as, right, Aenys and Maegor and, and the way Maegor acts toward the rest of his family, family becomes framed mm-hmm. as enemy. And we see this in Daenerys' storyline as well with Viserys, who was supposed to protect her doesn't do that he becomes someone who hurts her and it stands in contrast to a different sort of question and portrayal of it in the books with house stark where they are the pack survives yeah absolutely and there's all that kind of framework for the last dragon and you know viserys i'm the last dragon like rhaegar was the last dragon like all of this dragon imagery right but Drogon's the <laughs> right. last dragon. But then you look back in their history, in like Targaryen history, they always been crazy. Look at Arian who wanted to become a dragon, so he drank wildfire. You know, I mean, it's all this tragedy framed with House Targaryen. I don't know, when we were watching it, I was watching it with my boyfriend, and I kind of thought, like, at <laughs> first, I kept punching him in the arm saying, how can Daenerys see them throw their swords down from Drogon? Like, she's not going to know. Like, what if, like, she just doesn't know when she starts roasting yeah. them? And I think it could have been a little more powerful for her to mishear it at first or, like, to not hear the bells and then just go anyway and then be in a blind rage even while they keep ringing. I just feel like there should be some sort of morsel of remorse in there. Something. Because I just don't feel like it's right to have her go full out yet. Yeah. And for her to not be able to see, I think, is in some ways a statement as well, because the more power she gets, the higher up, the more far removed she becomes from the people that she had thought were going to be her yeah, people. Yeah, a lonely god high atop her mountain. Exactly. Storm of Swords. Last chapter, what is it, Danny yeah. 10 or something? Yep, nine. nine. I like that idea that you have of the bells continue ringing as she goes around destroying everything because there's also i think the idea of what the bells ringing perhaps even as cersei and jamie fall mm-hmm. signaling the death of a monarch yeah absolutely uh and instead of that phoenix rising from the ash it's a uh, phoenix falling into the ash it's the whole entire everything all of this blood castle dark yes, phoenix exactly, dark phoenix no it's this blood castle falling you know this Castle built on yes. all this money and fire and blood just falling into the grounds and crumbling with all this corruption. It's supposed to be ripping them out root and stem, but 
why at the end of the day do we feel sympathetic? Yeah, that that idea of the house falling. I mean, we've seen people talking about the bells also so far as being kind of like Edgar Allan Poe's poem or reminding them, right, of Edgar Allan Poe's poem, The Bells. But if it's a blood house being torn down, there's also, I think, an element of like the fall of the house of Usher where the house is also their family. And I think Danny destroying uh, the Red Keep and Maker's Holdfast and all of that, like... It kind of makes you feel the end of the Targaryen dynasty because they built this building and this nation. It's those two sides of that coin of the conquering and the greatness, the madness and the violence as well. The other side of it that built this palace and, you know, Daenerys destroying it is that. Yeah, in a lot of ways, it reminds me of Thor Ragnarok, where, you know, Hela says, where do you think they got all the gold to make this castle? It's blood money, you know? It's all blood money. This Red Keep didn't just raise out of nowhere. The Targaryen's words aren't fire and blood for no reason. Um, uh, Yeah. I I also feel, and you might appreciate this, I do get a lot of that sense of, you know, the Scottish play, the green play, which is what Mm. us uh, people that have been- Braveheart. In this play uh, say, because we do not want to curse ourselves- as the play tends to do it. I won't write it. I won't say it. I was in the play, Aliana. You can say it. Mel Gibson? Braveheart? Oh yes. But course. it reminds me a lot of... <laughs> Chloe's about to fire me. Lady Scottish play. And of course, Out mm. Damned Spot. And just that like perpetual tick. It reminds me a lot of John Connington with the bells in the books. Uh, of course, you have that chapter, mm. The Lost Lord, where he you know, says he will go through with reclaiming this Iron Throne for Rhaegar's son to reclaim his lands, his name, his honor, to still the bells that rang so loudly in his dreams whenever he closed his eyes to sleep. And I do think they were probably picking at that a la carte to use in the show. I think it's a great idea. I think uh, I I think we're going to see that maybe with John Connington in this next sack. I think the bells are going to go off and he's just going to go berserk and kill some innocents. But it very much so reminds me of the Scottish play and out damned spot and how the king and queen, you know, they they imagine that physical actions can root out psychological demons, right? So by burning down King's Landing, is Daenerys going to be able to get out her psychological demons? But the overall play is kind of exposition about how wrong they are, how that doesn't work. Yeah, I think that's such a great point. And rather than all that, it complicates everything. And I think we're going to obviously see that this is going to make shit worse yeah. with Daenerys. It's cathartic, perhaps, in the moment, or feels like it's getting you what you want, but then... It sure don't. Here's an interesting show canon to bring up. Does this make Daenerys the younger, more beautiful queen? I kind of forgot this was technically in the show prophecy for Cersei. Lol. Uh... I guess in the show, she's now the younger, more beautiful queen that got rid of Cersei. I guess so. That's what happens when you find your oh shape tape. Oh my god, tape. get that shape tape, girl. She put it on before battle. She had it going. I I strongly, yeah. strongly believe it's Ariad in the books. Uh, I think that what I like about it is there are multiple candidates. There's a part of me because I'm fucking trash that is like, oh, what if it were Sansa? There's also a part of me that like thinks that the wording is ambiguous. And I was like, maybe it's not a queen. And the younger and more beautiful is Brienne the Beautiful. Uh, I just I like I like going through all these possibilities and I'm like look at the possibilities well that's it 
It's a show prophecy, and it's, it's probably, Danny. It's probably so Eric. Wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> Are you sure it's not Drogon? It's madness in the streets, is what it is. John's barely surviving. <laughs> He's trying to tell his northern men to pull back, and Grey Worm and John almost fight. They almost lock eyes, and they kind of like have this moment where they might just murder each other. But then John kills a Lannister out of self defense, just in time for Grey Worm to believe slash remember John is kind of on his side. I actually really like. These oh, yeah. scenes, because I think that Grey Worm's actions here very much humanize in some ways and convey what Daenerys is feeling, but it also shows how far and how different Grey Worm is now as a character. Not in a bad way, but that he's grown since being uh, like an unsullied in Astapor, because now he's angry that this strange land didn't promise him freedom or that acceptance that he thought it would. The strange land took the woman he loved. And as opposed to, he's he's learned to feel all these different emotions before he wasn't allowed to feel anything, that he le- learned to feel love. And I think there's something very sad that now we see him in this also very true rage. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he very much so is carrying out Danny's physical combat on the ground while she takes her rage out with Drogon in the mm-hmm. air. And... Everyone is dying. It's women, men, children, uh, left and right. And John starts to actually, yeah, horses. horses. I wasn't going to say it, but I did actually tweet about it. So you should check it out later. I was like, no, the horses. Uh, John starts to have these PTSD flashes as he fights and surveys the streets. And the music does the same thing it did during Danny with her isolation in the last episode, where it pulls back and it puts you right in the heart of it. It really makes you feel just that trauma mm-hmm. coming on. Yeah, I love that point you make about the PTSD because I was also thinking that moment. I was like, this reminds me of like those scenes where mm-hmm. Ned Stark flashes back to all of that stuff. And another thing it remi- that I was reminded of um, a little bit in the sequence somewhere where John pulls a Northman off of a woman that he's about to rape. And it reminds me of that scene a few seasons ago between Brienne and Jamie, where uh, it's not in the books necessarily, but uh, because she kills the men for it, uh, where I guess it's kind of showing us that, hey, both sides are bad <laughs> in war. But there's all, also around these scenes, um, I think it's interesting that we get another version of the Reigns of Castamere, um, because in that spirit of like those both sides, the lines, that idea of, and who are you, the Proud Lord said that I should bow so low, and that idea of only a cat of a different coat becomes a new takes mm-hmm. on a new meaning because maybe the northern forces and the dragon queen are not so different from the other westerosi and these lannister guards at all yeah i also love that the outro music is a mixture of reigns of castamere with light of the seven in that minor slow key uh it's really just it shows the end of that house you got Tyrion as the lord of Castamere, or a fuck of Castamere. Tyrion is the lord of Casterly Rock now. Let it sink in. Oh, yeah. Shit. Yeah, I almost right? forgot they died. Speaking of, Damien Euron. I'm so excited to talk about this. <laughs> this happened. Yeah, this is unfortunately a fight that happens. Which king fucked the queen the best? They fight. Euron, quote-unquote, mortally wounds Jamie and Jamie him. Euron then looks straight into the camera and says, I'm the man who killed Jamie Lannister. 
Yeah, but like, did he? Because technically he didn't, you know? I mean, Jamie was still alive when the building fell on him, so I'd say the building killed him. Typical man taking credit for a woman's work. Which is also why Danny is still burning the city, right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> maybe if Euron would have just chilled the fuck out. I don't think he knew how to do that. That's true. I don't think he does. Also, like, it just comes out of nowhere. Like, Jamie, of course, is walking in some watery, brushy area trying to sneak into the castle. And there's Euron Greyjoy. Why didn't, I mean, why didn't they just all go save Cersei together? I know. They should just bro it up first, you know? Go save her together and fight over pieces of her later. Or, throwing this idea out there, crazy idea, a threesome. Oh my god. I'd probably it's not watch the worst it. I, I, yeah, it's not the worst idea I've ever had. Something I did kind of pay attention to earlier in that speech that I said I didn't pay attention to. Tyrion kind of gave Jaime instructions of go to this place, go through the secret like entrance to get to her. And she was going to wait for him like in the dungeons, right? Or in the, the bottom, the basement, the dragony basement, whatever it's called in the show. Tyrion straight up says to Jaime, let's meet, meet her there and like get her out through the dragon pit. So is this what Tyrion's been planning with Cersei since last season? Is it? I'm not sure. Have they been planning? Is this Well, it? I mean, because they cut that scene off and there was no end to that scene. You just have them looking at each other and then it cuts. Are we going to learn that like the whole time Tyrion was plotting to keep his family safe? Oh my god. And that's like another... Brand Sansa Arya thing from last season where they cut it and they're like, oh, but it's so clever, don't you see? What the twist? Yeah, I hope that's not it. I don't know. But hope is lost. Cersei is looking out over the city. A plus Delena Heaty, per usual. Tears oh, yeah. are streaming down her face and she begins to descend the stairs with Kyburn in the mountain. What a posse. Yeah. But we do get good scenes. Ish, I yes. mean, we've, we, we, we've talked about some other good scenes already, like in things that we like, mm-hmm. but now we have uh, the thank you, Sandor moment. <sighs> yes, Arya and Sandor are in the lobby level of the Red Keep. Unfortunately, the elevator is not in service, and <laughs> Sandor tells Arya that she has to leave so that she can live and not to thrive on revenge and vengeance like he has and don't become Aww. like him. And it's a very sweet moment. She's like, no, I have to kill her. And he says, no, like, just go. Don't become like me. And she looks at him and she says, and this is the first time anyone has said his name to his face in this entire show, which is bullshit because Sansa has done it in the books. But thank you, Sandor. That was very important to me. The next bits that follow for Sandor are not as important to me. Uh... But that was very important. That was a very sweet moment. She runs, she goes, she tries to get out. And Sandor goes on to meet his brother one last time. I'm not happy about this, as we know. We already knew I wasn't going to be. I knew I wasn't going to be. I've said as much. Uh, There's no way that the show could do Sandor right at this point. They've made him into a walking, talking, chicken, cunt, talking meme. That's pretty much what Sandor is. And whatever, I don't have time to flesh everybody out. I get it. We demand Prince Zuko. It's just like they already had flushed him out, though. Yeah. Like, he he had a lot. And then, I don't know, him looking into the flames was really nothing when he saw the arrowhead last season. 
I don't know. I just, again, it's another simple concept of they just really didn't know what else to do with him to keep him relevant. And he had a great amount of fun acting. Rory did, and he did a great job. And he brought a great character to the screen. So I'm happy about that. But there's just going to be such different thematics working around it in the books, right? Uh, Mercy, mercy, mercy. I've written an essay, if you haven't checked it out, about how Sandor, Arya, and Sansa all speak to each other and they learn mercy from one another. Uh, and Gregor right now in the books and in the show, as you saw, is Frankenstein's monster. He kills his creator, Frankenstein, best death of the whole entire series, by the way. Uh, <laughs> my favorite death was when Kyburn just went bloop, bloop uh, at the mountains yep. behest. But that's Frankenstein's monster. And you can't just put the dog to sleep like that. We've learned all about the undead in the last couple books, and Gregor is literally necromancy undead. We've learned about it in the show as well. Uh, I thought it would have been way cooler if Sandor did some crazy shit, like had a flaming sword, and then also went out with him in the flames. That would have been fine to me, but I don't know. I just think it, it could have been continuous, like the whole zombie theme. They could have like yeah. kept that. Or he beheads him like the way Gregor beheads the horse at the beginning. Yeah. Way back, way back in the day. I do love that there's a handful of lines in different books, like A Feast for Crows and in uh, A Game of Thrones and Clash of Kings and all the different books about Sandor that we just don't get in the show. I love the mm. line that uh, in A Feast for Crows, Podrick and Brienne are looking for Sansa. Podrick did not know what to make of a dog named Dog, plainly. The boy chewed on that a while and said, I used to have a dog when I was little. I called him Hero. Was he? Was he what? A hero. No. He was a good dog, though. He died. <sighs> he was a good dog, though. He died. <laughs> That's. I feel like that really sums up That's so true. much of Sandor, though. Uh, because, of course, was he a hero? No. He was a good dog, though. He died. Sandor refuses to be named a knight. Uh, if you have time, definitely listen to the Broken Man speech because it is only pretty much about Sandor and it's obviously about other men that have broken in war and the Broken Man yep. in general. Sandor's in the background petting a dog digging graves the whole time. Big Just dude. putting that out there because Sandor does go to this little holy aisle of monks and hang out and starts to gain peace, right? He starts to uh, repent for his sins. He's digging graves to repent for everyone he's murdered in his life and to kind of appreciate this new life he's been born into. But in the show, he comes back from that aisle after a brief trip there and uh, doesn't seem to have changed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, At all. I, uh, uh, I, characters only change in like two episodes at the end they change Probably. actually every season on the first episode because it's a sketch show eliana and no one has consistent characterization <laughs> every season uh, it's like they draw a card and they're like aha saturday night i don't know yeah. I work, i'm working on it whatevs anyways um i i did though one thing i'll say i did like i did like the sandra parallels between uh, you know, the scene with Arya and Sansa with the look at me. Mm -hmm. Oh, that was cute. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, a great line. I do love the uh, passage with Sansa in Clash. I think it's Sansa 2. I like dogs better than knights. My father's father was kennel master at the rock. 
One autumn year, Lord Tytos came between a lioness and her prey. The lioness didn't give a shit that she was Lannister's own sigil. Hmm. Bitch tore into my lord's horse and would have done for my lord too, but my grandfather came up with the hounds. Three of his dogs died running her off. My grandfather lost a leg, so Lannister paid him for it with lands and a tower house and took his son to squire. The three dogs on our banner are the three that died in the yellow of autumn grass. A hound will die for you, but never lie to you, and he'll look you straight in the face. He cupped her under the jaw, raising her chin, his fingers pinching her painfully. And that's more than little birds can do, isn't it? I never got my song. Goodbye, Sandor. Goodbye, Sandor. Thank you, Sandor. Thank you, Sandor. (laughs) It's just it deserves so much more. Yeah, I was, I was about to be real mad though if he died um, without killing the mountain. And I guess I don't know. I guess they go out together or something. Yeah, and that's how it's always going to be. I mean, if he kills his brother, sure. it's a mercy kill, and it's a kill for him too, so he can be at peace finally. He has to die yeah. killing his brother. I mean, it's is what it is. It's prophesied actually in the books. It's prophesied. So. Oh, I I just realized. Are we supposed to see a parallel between Sandor? Mm-hmm. And his brother dying together. Cersei and, and Jamie. I see it now. Thematic resonance. Oh my god. So, <laughs> zooming forward, the sky is literally falling. The Red Keep is coming down in bits and pieces. The mountain is shielding Cersei on the serpentine stairs, and at the bottom is his baby brother. That's right. Yeah. It's Clegane Bull. Get hype. <laughs> Oh, when he took off the helmet. I know we just like kind of talked about all this, but I'm just still going to talk about how when he took off his helmet, I was like, is that very sad for a second? Oh my God. <laughs> We've always like wondered little, whose head was under there. It was a little baby head. Oh my God. It, it reminds me of- uh, like Kim. Oh, they did a lot. They did good makeup on him. Yeah, absolutely. They really did. It was crazy that. looking. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was very good for that scene. <laughs> Cersei and Kyburn are all like, what the fuck, Clegane? Protect your queen, Gregor. And he's like, no, fuck you, dad. And he kills Kyburn. It was beautiful. <laughs> fuck you, dad. <laughs> yeah, I, I was a little confused as to why the necromancy control thing doesn't work, but whatever. I like I like your explanation of fuck you, dad. I mean, that he does that even when he's not a zombie, you know? He does do that. Uh, yeah, Kyburn is his new undead daddy. So, And Kyburn yeah. was like, no. Mm, and he's like, no one tells daddy. me no. Kyburn, the daddy, yeah. Uh, rip in peace, Kyburn. No, Kyburn deserves a great passage, Sorry. too, but I don't have time for that today. Yeah, <laughs> nope. Sandor cuts through two Kingsguard like they're pieces of cake. Then he turns to his brother, and they fight. They fight a shit ton. There's fire in the background, etc., etc., and Cersei escapes away from this fight. She oh, Hold on, can I just say I do love that moment where she's just like, fuck this, and just <laughs> walks... <laughs> straight past the both them i'm like all right and they don't even like turn they're like i i know yeah i love that she's like "Mm, i'm out (laughs) like honestly Arya could have waited for her and gotten her at this point let's be real i agree (laughs) but that's okay that's okay i like the resonance that had (laughs) yeah the twin matic resonance she makes it to the dungeons where there are dragon skulls. We know this place. Yes. Jamie's also down there. Yeah, it flashes right back to Clegane Bowl, which is still happening, yep. by the way, because <laughs> Greg just won't die. And Sandy has tried is it this all. A salad? He's like, here's a fork in your eyeball. Uh, finally, 
Sandor uh, dive bombs him off the rail into a big fiery pit of doom. I'm just going to like go past the eyeball thing. I don't, I can't deal with the idea of eye touching. And uh, I don't know. It was kind of stupid that this is literally Gregor Clegane's only move. You know, it's his only finishing move. Um, but yeah, it was horrible. And like, there's this moment where Sandor bangs his head on the stone on the stairs. And like, ah, ah, it just looks awful. My poor baby boy. He didn't deserve it. Yeah, I was on my couch shaking my head and being like, Chloe must have been so mad during this moment. But also, I just realized something. Mm-hmm. Do you think Sandor, in this move, was inspired by Sansa about <gasps> to oh. push Joffrey off the walls of the Red Keep? I hope Thoughts. so. Thoughts. I think that's a great connection. He, he and his brother become the birds that fly oh to their death. Wow. Well, they're dead, so we'll never know. Uh, yeah, whatever. But I, I like that was the an idea. Though. I do like that connection, Eliana. I'm glad. I'm glad I could make this work for you. Yeah. There's <laughs> it's Sansa. It's canon. And <laughs> smoke and rubble are everywhere. The soldiers are barely alive. Arya can barely breathe. She tries to get the small folk out. The small folk get killed by armies and fire. And oh, by the way, there are caches of wildfire going off during this. Like, all over, but they're not, like, huge. They just go off, and then sometimes it's greenish, which, whatever. But this pretty much confirms the Aegon plot for me, that, like, Danny will definitely blow up King's Landing, and wildfire oh, yeah. will accidentally happen, and she probably won't know. Tyrion will know, but she won't. All right, we know all the different dragons have different colored flames. When it is no longer in their mouths and still burning, you know how wildfire is still green? Mm-hmm. Would Drogon's flames be black? Would we have the black and the green flames mixing Ooh, together? I hope so. I hope that's what I like see. Like in the Dance of the Dragons. Well, and you know, there's okay. so much in the books for it. Like Illyrio's yeah. rings dancing back and forth, and they're all green and black rings. Like all of them. Uh, yeah. Like we get it, Illyrio. <laughs> you, yeah, you vape. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, probably. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Ideas. Jamie and Cersei. Go out like they came into this world together, clutching each other. Um, yeah. The whole... I mean, they told us yeah. this was going to happen multiple times, like both of them. They literally have, and it just keeps being said, so I'm not like surprised by it. Uh, kind of a bummer that this is how it goes out, right? You'd hope that Jamie like was going to finish it or going like... Obviously, I do not want Jamie to like murder his sister. I don't think that's a great move. But I think it's kind of inevitable via, obviously, we've talked about it with the books with Prophecy, and we've talked about it with a bunch of other stuff, but Jamie's really not on a redemption arc right now, even in the books. Uh, breaking up with your toxic girlfriend, sister, doesn't mean you're on a redemption arc from, like, shoving people out of windows, or, you know, just because you were kind of, like, only slightly mean and could have been meaner to Edmure Tully makes you a good guy. You're carrying out stuff for your mob boss family, dude. Like, you're not a good guy. You still have some ways to go. Yeah, uh, one of those discussions as to whether or not Jamie is on a redemption arc or not centers around, would he have really thrown the babies over at River Run? And depending on how you feel about the show, etc., as seems less, but he basically confirms that last episode. Now, I would argue... Yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> I don't have arguments. I rest my case, Your Honor. No, uh, I don't know. He's just, he's not on a redemption arc. 
Uh, no. He's on a maybe a humanization arc for us to understand his actions and why he performed them, but I don't think that merits as a redemption arc. Uh, I just don't. And I don't really know what the point of him being in Winterfell was and the point of Bran seeing him being there was. Like, if Jamie didn't show up at Winterfell and fight against the dead with Brienne and bang Brienne and then leave, like, would they have not lived? I mean, maybe. I guess. Like, maybe, maybe if Jamie wasn't there, you know, maybe all of the different pieces had to be there doing their small little part, like the butterfly effect, in order for it to work out. Yeah, I guess. I'm just going to go with I that. I don't know. Well, they go down. And I mean, it was a nice scene, even with Jamie's hand uh, turning back from gold to flesh at one point. I don't know if you saw that, what? but there's. No, I didn't. Oh, please rewatch it. No, I don't. I didn't catch that. Yes, my dad told me, actually. My dad called me to tell oh, me. Yes. The Night King. Yes, the Who's Night no King. no longer the Night King. <laughs> oh. I just love that he was like, I'm no longer the Night King. Literally, the Night King dies. I'm no longer the... Who are you then, Dad? I don't know. I don't know who he is. Uh, some br- someone named Brandon Stark, maybe? Oh my oh. god. Oh. Arya is covered in blood and ash, and a white blood-stained horse appears... And it's a really beautiful scene that takes about like two to three minutes for some reason. And I was really confused as to what was happening. This is honestly exactly like the unicorn store with Brie Larson. Um, she climbs on the horse and she gets out of the city. I know there's a lot of like Revelation 6, 8 kind of re- relates to it, you know, with uh, the white horse after the apocalypse and harbinger of death. But I kind of... Uh, I- took it a little different than that. I think I took it a little more positively. I took it as her choosing life. Also, the girl was mad for horses. Yes. Absolutely. She looks like Liana and she like Liana. Yeah, so John and Arya endgame is gonna happen. I mean, it's the 93 letter. Oh my god. It's true. It's out here. Endgame. Oh my god. Because I did think that this was a Taylor Swift music video-esque kind of feeling <laughs> moment. Anyways... We got a thing. Yeah, hey, we got a, we got a uh, tweet. A message from Johnny Tsunami. How did you girls feel about King's Landing being the place of losing slash reclaiming identity for Arya? We first see her shed her identity there. Dad, no! And I don't think she fully took it back until her conversation with Sandor. Do you think that was an intentional parallel? Yeah, I definitely think it's an intentional parallel. I talked a little bit about it on mm-hmm. Twitter today, actually, because I was just going off because I love Arya so much, and I actually really like what they're doing with her this season. Uh, I've been saying yeah. it all season. They're writing her, which is awesome. She deserves this. And you have basically all of the support of mentors and past acquaintances sacrificing or giving her knowledge this season, right? You have Melisandre with the Not Today, Beric with the uh, Live, and Sandor, of course, with his Live. And I think Gendry plays a huge part in this as well. Mm. Her finally seeing Gendry again, who she felt so close to once. And obviously last season, she didn't feel so close to Sansa and Bran. She felt a little alienated. She was the stranger in Winterfell last season, not Daenerys. Uh, This season, she's really close-knit with them. And I think, although the writers seem to have gotten the whole needle was Jon Snow's smile wrong... This season, they got it right. Arya's arc has never been a revenge arc. When she was in King's Landing and Yorin held her close to him and shielded her from watching her dad die, as she climbs from the ashes here, 
She looks around at all of this destruction and death, and she sees all the small folk that have died and all the charred bodies just lying out on the sidewalk. And it's not this loss of humanity like they've taken away from her in all the past seasons anymore. You have these tears streaming down Maisie's face. She did a phenomenal job during this. And she's just bloody and covered in dust and ash, and she's just crying in King's Landing just looking around at this destruction and it hurts and you feel it. Yeah, absolutely. She loses uh, the mother and child that she was helping to escape. And there's also a moment earlier on in this, in the episode where someone gets their throat slit. I was like, is this supposed to remind me of Catelyn? Mm. But um, yeah, I love the way that you've described Arya reclaiming and refinding her uh hum- humanity and she's always had a very complicated arc and i like that you've pointed out that it isn't necessarily about revenge um because i think there's a lot of it showing us even in the books that yes arya is desires revenge but trying to teach us hey this is a bad thing Especially because George refers to her in an interview once as being inspired or or kind of similar to a Ugandan child soldier, which is a very sad thing. Um, I was listening to discussions recently on attitudes towards violence in developing countries, and it's sad because it's this intergenerational thing. It's this very normalized thing where children who grow up in countries afflicted by conflict and war feel that violence is expected like that's the way of life and i think that's very much how we see Arya's character but for her to see the horrors of it once more especially after experiencing all this stuff this season yeah especially after yeah having taken part in a war this is so different than the war that she was in where it's fighting the dead where there's a clear good side here she's just like oh fuck these are real people and it's been kind of built up you look back at last season with ed sheeran's scene with those lannister soldiers when she uh you know hung out with them and they shared their ale and their food with her and for one night she was just a teenager you know it was every every single time she gets a little closer to that humanity you have her and sansa last season bickering and you know sansa telling her you know that's very nice you could just chop someone's head off when you're mad but that's not how things work here and that's not how we do things mm-hmm. here. And uh, I think there's a better balance for Arya in the Force now. You know, there's much better balance. Yeah. But we'll see what this does to her. For the record, just while we're here on the podcast, I didn't mind the Ed Sheeran scene. Oh, I love that scene. I think it was cute. Yeah, make Maisie Williams happy. I'm like, whatever. Oh, fun. Cameos. I don't give a shit. If Arya's happy, I'm happy. There's a lot of other things to complain about in the show. <sighs> yeah. I think it's unfair that the show is kind of framing this episode with Danny as Ares too, mm-hmm. uh, especially after we've read Fire and Blood that came out, the Targaryen history book that just came out this past fall. I think we should look into this as more of this sympathetic view that we get of Rhaenyra, who was, as you know, the black in the side of the black and greens. Mm-hmm. She was the named heiress of the throne. And there are a ton of parallels, right? Like Daenerys has been told they sew banners of your house. And Rhaenyra was regarded as the realm's delight when she was younger. They are both robbed of their birthright. They get caught up in warfare. Their children die in war. And there's even this passage from Fire and Blood that I want to read. 
And this is when Rhaenyra takes the throne finally, which of course she spirals down lower and lower. She starts off at the top and her birthright gets stolen after she's, you know, worked to retain it. And then, well, yes. (laughs) Yeah. There was no way to spirit away the Iron Throne, however, nor would Queen Rhaenyra sleep until she claimed her father's seat. So the torches were lit in the throne room, and the queen climbed the iron steps and seated herself where King Viserys had sat before her, and the old king before him, and Magor and Aenys and Aegon, the dragon in days of old. Stern-faced, still in her armor, she sat on high as every man and woman in the Red Keep was brought forth and made to kneel before her, to plead for her forgiveness and swear their lives and swords and honor to her as their queen. Septon Eustace tells us that the ceremony went on all through that night. It was well past dawn when Rhaenyra Targaryen rose and made her descent, and as her lord husband, Prince Daemon, escorted her from the hall, cuts were seen upon her grace's legs and the palm of her left hand, wrote Eustace. Drops of blood fell to the floor as she went past, and wise men looked at one another. Though none dared speak the truth aloud, the Iron Throne had spurned her, and her days upon it would be few. Yeah, I, as you said, it's kind of sad that they're framing her as just Ares come again in earnest, right? As opposed to it being a sort of critique that the other characters are framing her as that or speculating on her as that. Because I think that the show has done a lot of questioning, as we've discussed throughout this episode, of are you your family? You can love your family. You can be loyal to your family. You're not the same as them necessarily all the time. And... I sometimes struggle when people ask who my favorite house is. The answer is House Plum or House Fossaway. But (laughs) I like fruit houses. But (laughs) uh, the reason is because, especially in the books, I struggle to see them as houses because they're written so richly that I see them as individual people. Right? Mm -hmm. And it's a struggle that you see in characters like Tyrion, and you'll see it in Daenerys as as she comes to Westeros, where they're struggling to be themselves apart from the legacy or or from whatever their parents are. And I don't know. Maybe that's something, like, obviously Daenerys is a little different of a story, but... Uh, Tyrion has obviously tried so hard to stand out on his own for so long and be his own man, his own lion. And John has tried so hard, for example, to fit in, yes. to be a wolf. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just remember the quote where he goes, and damned, in the oh most God. recent John chapter we, we read. <laughs> yeah, he and Theon, they try so hard to fit into a different house and to... I mean, not not that Stark is a different house for John, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Somewhere that they're not wanted or that they don't feel like they belong. Yeah. Just gotta... Which is what Daenerys is doing yes. in Westeros. Uh, yes, exactly. Yeah, it's it's a... Uh... What, what is this called, Chloe? The bells? <laughs> the bells. <laughs> Resonating. Oh, thematic yes. resonance? That was the first time I've said it all episode, by I the know, way. I was like... She's got to say it. I can't be the one like making saying her shit for her the whole time. Come on, Chloe. <laughs> you know, speaking of fire and blood, I guess it's safe to say that that one plot of Danny getting the shivers, right? Uh, Princess Daenerys dying from having the shivers. That's out of the cards now, right? So no Danny dying north. I'm going to throw this out there that sometimes I think the ideas in fire and blood. Some of them might be foreshadowing, but some of them I think are ideas that George liked 
for A Song of yes. Ice and Fire, but couldn't make it work or didn't like enough mm-hmm. to put in the main story. He's like, I'm going to use it here instead. And I feel like this is one of them. I like it. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, speaking of that idea of children dying. Well, that was a segue. Um, there's a lot of emphasis. There's a lot of emphasis again in this episode on that little girl and her mother and getting them to safety. And in regards to Arya finding that humanity again, she, like her father Ned, tries to save them, tries to save the children. And I think that little girl, because we're focusing so much on her, reminds me of many things in Daenerys' story, which we're going to touch on in a bit. But here are some quotes uh, that I thought were really poignant from Danny's very last dance chapter, aka the last uh, canon Daenerys chapter uh, we have. And, uh, you know, as she's out in the wilderness alone and sad, she thinks, I will never have a little girl. I was the mother of dragons. And then later on, when she's talking to her hallucination of George, she thinks um, that the hallucination says to her, you are a queen, her bear said, in Westeros. And Danny says back, it is such a long way, she complained. I was tired, Jorah. I was weary of war. I wanted to rest, to laugh, to plant trees and see them grow. I am only a young girl. And <sighs> there's so much innocence lost in Danny's storyline. It's Danny, she's in killing the young girl. Like a lot of John's storyline is very much about kill the boy and let the man be born what happens then and what happens when you kill the girl inside of you like ned stark wanted to save children as Arya is trying to do here he wanted to save a little girl named daenerys on the other side of the narrow sea that's what hurts so bad when it's framed like that we get that first person that point of view quality of Arya on the ground in king's landing and by having danny removed from the second half of the episode there you really lose this feeling you have Arya's blood and dust and tears and it really sells it for you and it's so hard because we've been rooting for this small exiled princess who's been abused and truly lost and alone overseas for all these years who's clawed and fought her way to the top and we've also been fighting for these two little girls Sansa and Arya who have been living in isolation one has become a child soldier Uh, one in the show has been beaten and raped and had to learn and grow with barely any help you know with clipped wings so to speak and it's hard when those two girls that were never really you know the northern girls were sheltered but it's so hard that they finally you know pull back and they don't trust because they want to protect their family and their isolation of Daenerys I mean is proven right it Danny ends up burning the city and we know this isn't really who Danny is at her core we know that she's freed and liberated millions of bajillions of people and the events that lead her here in book obviously are going to make thematic sense uh they'll resonate a little more in a longer stretch of time than like two three episodes of hardcore Danny losing it but it just sucks because it could have been so much more and i also feel like having it built off of Sansa and Arya's isolation isn't obviously fair to them for mm-hmm. them not trusting Danny and doubting her but it is something that has built into this just this thought process for Danny you know she's just very alone she'll never have this wolf pack of her own exactly and i think that's something that frustrates me a little with the characterization of Tyrion in the show because a lot of what will go Danny into some of these actions I think is that Tyrion that we have in the books 
who is much darker, and he and Daenerys would play off of each other, right? Mm -hmm. Because here we see that Tyrion still kind of has his lion pack, but in the books, he too is alone. He too has turned against his family in the way that Daenerys is learning that family, for her, cannot be trusted. And they're two lonely people feeding off of each other's loneliness and and deepening each other's darkness in that way and it's it's i think very it's very difficult and sad yeah absolutely it's again this is we we've been rooting for her for so long it's rough yeah and i mean i i again like i don't think that the show is wrong in some of those beats it's just the execution is sloppy the execution was only there for very oh damn Wow. I did it again. You did it. Wow. Do I get a raise? You do get a raise. Not only are you hired, <laughs> you are promoted. <laughs> uh, we should you be can laughing have, while we talk about Barry yeah, Stein. You can have Allie's job. <laughs> okay. Well, how's she going to pay me rent? Oh, shit. I don't think this Just is Just kidding. Real. It all goes to the same pocket. I. <laughs> you know, I think I've been moved. And I would even give this episode a 7 out of 10 now after discussing it with wow. you at length. Yes, you have talked me into it without meaning to. I just, the power of friendship, look, not loneliness. The, the, the Game of wow. Thrones was really the friends we made along the, the way. Okay. Oh my god. Yeah, I'll give it a 7 tops. Uh, like I said at the beginning, it was a okay to good episode of Game of Thrones. It was a... Bad second to last episode of Game of Thrones. Yes, it was It was a good fifth to the last or fourth to the last episode of Game of Thrones. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, remember when Winterfell was a little slow and boring? I liked it! And we had silly medieval music. It was cute. Oh, oh, that Winterfell. I'm sorry, I thought we were talking about it in season one, episode one again. <laughs> No, no, I was. I'm, I'm being, not talking about your favorite. I'm season. being very serious that I thought we were talking about Winterfell at the very beginning of the show. <laughs> I'm not joking. I totally misunderstood. Anyway, <laughs> okay. Well, I guess we got one more week of this bullshit. What we have the rest of our lives to be together and read these books over and over again until the next one comes out right allegedly there's an announcement coming i don't know what the announcement's gonna be it's probably gonna break my heart it's gonna be like 2016 new year's all over again but what else oh my god when will we rest we, are we the 79 sentinels yes we are the watchers on the wall no that's a different organization oh my god okay well as always this has been an episode <laughs> We are having an episode. What do you think next week will be called? A Dream of Spring. I think it's going to be The Hour of the Wolf or A, a, the time, time, for a time for Wolves. Yeah. I think it's going to be one of those. I don't think they're going to go Dream of Spring. If they do, that'd be a nice homage. But I, I'm wondering if they'll curveball us. You know, they want to subvert our expectations. So. It's going to be called, uh, I mean, like, Brendan B. Fish already got the leaks for all of these titles. It's called Lady Stoneheart is in this one. Oh yeah, the stone heart coming. Yeah, I thought it could have happened today. You know, uh, with a uh, being Mother's Day, and by today I mean yesterday. But I watched yeah, it today, Mother's so Day. who knows? Whatever. Oh my God. Well, as always, this has been an episode. If you guys have not looked us up, you can find us and subscribe to us on Podbean, 
on Spotify, on iTunes, on Google Play, on Stitcher, and on Acast. And to keep up with all of those releases, be sure to subscribe to us on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Girls Gone Canon, or maybe you have a question and want to like say hi or some shit, right? You can shoot us an email over at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. And hey, while you're at it, take a look at our Patreon, patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon. Last month, we did have a excellent time doing an episode with Minuclear Bomb from A Scene of Ice and Fire, a podcast in the community that does great work on the show Game of Thrones. We talked about Eliana's favorite season, episode one of season one, uh, Winter is Coming. We talk about the pilot episode, a lot of production things, and just stuff that's different, stuff we liked, and what we see today. So take a look at that. Mm -hmm. Patrons $5 and up get a special episode every month. Yes, and this month, we thought it would be fun to do an episode on prophecy, since there's been so much discussion about it, and of course, what the role is excuse me and of course where it comes from who's telling these prophecies what it means for characters so if you are a patron of five dollars and up you will get that sometime this may yes to your dismay oh wow oh my god wow as always i am chloe find me on the internet at liesandarborgold.com and i am eliana find me somewhere as glass table girl talk to you next week guys goodbye